0: Hello, America. Welcome to Your Leo Nation, where we believe in the rule of law and they don't. We do and they don't. I'll tell you who they is just in a second. I am the Chief Mark Garrett, so happy to have you here today. I tell you what, there's so much going on. There is so much going on, and and we all see it in the news. We're all listening to the radio. We're all reading our emails and our news stories and our phones, and the country is, well... We'll just say things are very dynamic right about now. But what I want to talk about today, I'm going, to give you a, I'm going to give you a few, and I mean that literally, three different but related examples of certain people, certain elected officials, certain advocacy groups, reversing course on policies, laws, things that they've imposed on American citizens, and now for a number of reasons, They see are not working. They should have seen from day one, of course, any 10-year-old with most of these things could have understood why they were horrible ideas. I know I did. I know I was outspoken about it 10, 20, 25 years ago with some of these things. And now, again, for a number of reasons, these people are reversing course. So I'm going to get right into it. I want to start right now. I want to start with Oregon the wonderful blue state of Oregon, and I don't mean just the Pacific Ocean on its west coast. I'm talking about the people who run that really geographically beautiful state. I've been there many times. I won't go anytime soon because of what's happening, especially in their biggest city of Oregon, Portland. Here we go. With Oregon facing rampant public drug use, lawmakers backpedal on pioneering decriminalization law. This is from the Associated Press. Just so you know, I try to get a varied source of information, news articles, not all from one place. So this is from the AP, and this is just a a couple of weeks ago, the story broke. Salem, Oregon, AP, Democrat lawmakers in Oregon on Tuesday unveiled a sweeping new bill that would undo a key part of the state's first in the nation, drug decriminalization. They call it decriminalization law. It's really a drug legalization law is what they did and I'll show it to you in a minute, but he just simply legalized these illicit drugs, not decriminalization, just call it what it is, legalization, a recognition that public opinion has soured on the measure amid rampant public drug use during the fentanyl crisis. The bill would recriminalize the possession of small amounts of drugs as a low-level misdemeanor. Mistake, here they are already, they're realizing what a disaster their policies are. What an utter disaster. And now they just want to hedge their bets. Well, we'll just make a misdemeanor wrong. We'll talk about that. So, get them to a low-level misdemeanor enabling police to confiscate them and crack down on their use on sidewalks and in parks, its author said. It also aims to make it easier to prosecute dealers, duh, to access addiction treatment, medication and to obtain and keep housing without facing discrimination for using that medication. There's so much to impact there, but again, they're not going far enough, of course. Quote, it's the compromise pass, but also the best policy that we can come up with to make sure that we are continuing to keep communities safe and save lives. State Senator Kate Lieber, a Portland Democrat, no kidding, told the Associated Press, So, again, her own quote, she wants to compromise. It's a compromise pass. We're going to go ahead and recriminalize some of these things to some extent and things like this, but they won't go the full nine yards because it's not in their DNA. Voters passed a pioneering decriminalization law, Measure 110, with 58% support in 2020. But Democratic legislatures who champion as a way to treat addiction as a public health matter, not a crime, are now contending with one of the nation's largest spikes in overdose deaths, along with intensifying pressure from Republicans. Thank God there's one Republican or two in Oregon. And growing cause for a well-funded campaign group to overhaul it. Nation-leading overdose deaths. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, in 2020, this law was passed, and what's happened since... They've had untold numbers, maybe there's a record here, but certainly a massive wave of people dying because of the policies they have imposed on the people of Oregon. Dead people are a result of what they legislated. They said it themselves. Researchers say it's too soon to determine, this is, by the way, this is a doozy, Researchers say it's too soon to determine whether the law has contributed to the state's deadly overdose surge. And supporters of the measure say the decades-long approach of arresting people for possessing and using drugs didn't work. You know what? The absurdity speaks for itself right there. They have to ask researchers, hey, do you think us criminalize, decriminalizing, legalizing heroin, methamphetamine, crystal meth, Powder cocaine. Did I say crack cocaine already? Did I say heroin? Of course I did. They have to ask. They have to have researchers figure out if legalizing these illicit deadly drugs actually had anything to do with a surge of deaths in their state. This is like a parody. You c- you couldn't write a better comedy skit if it weren't so sad. Let me tell you something else right now about this fighting drugs for the laws. You remember the phrase, I remember hearing people say, the war on drugs is not working. The war on drugs is not working. We have to come up with other options. We have to come up with other ways to address this health crisis. By the way, part of it is a health crisis. There's no doubt not about it. But throwing away the ability for people, for law enforcement, to put handcuffs on these people, put them in prison, and force them into rehabilitation, to throw that away and pretend that the problem is going to get better. Let me ask, just, just because we can't, completely wipe out the drug crisis. We end the war on drugs. Let me ask you a question, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Have we won the war on cancer? Have we won the war on diabetes? Have we won the war on heart disease? Have we won the war on childhood leukemia? No, we haven't won the war on any of those horrible diseases that kill millions of Americans every year. But do, do we give up on that war? Do we stop fighting because we haven't snuffed out all those diseases of course not fighting the war keeping that war in progress not backing down actually saves lives whether we win every single individual case whether we save every life is not the question the question is what does a moral society do do we give up the fight they gave up the fight in oregon and it cost lives that's what happens when you put politics and your stupid philosophies before logic and the rule of law. The bill unveiled by Lieber and other Democrats serving on a recent created, recently created Committee on Addiction. Do you really need a Committee on Addiction, ladies and gentlemen? It's said to be introduced during legislative session that starts in February this month. The legislature adjourned over the summer, but concerned over the state's drug crisis led Democrats to launch the committee In between sessions, oh, my God, these people are just selfless. They actually came back in between sessions to address the people who lost lives are responsible for. These people are superstars. You know what? I think that they should be ordained saints. Absolutely. It's amazing. What a disgrace. See, their concerns, they came back to actually do their freaking job. Since September, the committee has held multiple hearings and heard testimony from law enforcement and substance substance use disorder experts on the law's accomplishments and shortcomings. I wonder where they were when law enforcement four years ago was begging them not to legalize heroin, not to legalize fentanyl, not to legalize cocaine. I wonder if they listened to law enforcement leaders then. I think the answer is no. We see what law they passed. Measure 110 directed the state's cannabis tax revenue toward drug addiction treatment while decriminalizing personal use amounts of illicit drugs. Possession of under a gram of heroin, for example, is only subject to a ticket and a maximum fine of $100. Does anybody really think that a heroin addict gives a damn about a traffic citation and $100 fine? or cares if he or she ever pay a $100 fine, or a $10,000 fine for that matter? The answer is no. This is the law they passed four years ago, went into effect three years ago. Give you a ticket for possession of heroin and other illicit drugs. Those caught with small amounts can have a citation dismissed by calling 24-hour hotline to complete an addiction screening within 45 days. But those who don't do a screening are not penalized for failing to pay the fine. This is in the law, ladies and gentlemen. You can have a ticket, dismissed if you call and talk about your addiction within 45 days. And if you don't call, there's no penalty. Why even put that in there? This is the craziness. This is the insanity of people who are running our local and county and state governments, not to mention our federal government, which we'll get to before the end of the show. In the year after the law took effect, in February 2021, only 1% received citations for possessions sought via the hotline, state auditors found. As of last June, the hotline received an average of 10 calls per month that were related to citations. How many people are on these illicit drugs in Oregon? I don't know, but it's a lot. And they receive 10 calls a month through this hotline. Boy, I wonder how overstaffed that hotline is, huh? Opponents of the law say it hasn't created an incentive to seek treatment. <laughs> oh, my God, a criticism the new bill seeks to address. The measures' details have yet to be finalized, but, quote unquote, personal use. And by the way, I was going to address this. What is personal use? And that can vary from state to state, but whatever. In other words, you can make up whatever level you want to define personal use. But person who used possession of illegal drugs would become a misdemeanor punishable by 30 days in jail or a $1,200 fine, a misdemeanor. I don't know about Oregon. Remember in California, they don't, you don't even go to jail for misdemeanors anymore with rare exception. Those arrested for small amounts would be referred uh, by police to a peer support specialist to schedule an assessment or intervention. If the person shows up to the meeting, they would be, wouldn't be charged if they don't, the offense could be referred to the DA's office. Do going to happen? If charges aren't filed, they could avoid jail by agreeing to certain conditions of probation or by agreeing to have their case diverted to drug court where judges place people in treatment programs rather than in jail. We're trying to get people off ramps, no kidding, while also introducing some accountability into this. There's no accountability here, ladies and gentlemen. They're putting some weak crap on the books with no teeth in it, and they're not going to save anybody. Winding up here, Republican lawmakers said the bill didn't go far enough. No kidding, Republicans. You're right about that. They called for mandatory treatment and personal use possession to be a higher-level misdemeanor punishable by up to a year in jail and a $6,200 fine. A low-class C C misdemeanor only provides 30 days in jail as an alternative. So forth and so on. Regarding drug dealing, the bill would make it easier to prosecute people for selling drugs and create harsher penalties for doing so in parks and near homeless shelters and substance use disorder treatment centers. There's a lot more to that article. I cut a lot of it out. The point is this. They're not going far enough in Oregon trying to backtrack on on the bill they passed, the, the law they passed almost four years ago. But they know Like I said earlier, they know, like any 10-year-old would know, that if you don't hold people accountable, if there's no sanction, if there's no punishment for behavior, you are going to, by default, encourage that behavior. And now they're trying to look like they're doing something. They're doing nothing, maybe very little, but really, in essence, they're doing nothing. This example, number one, of people now trying to catch up with public sentiment, trying to pretend that they are leaders, trying to pretend that they actually do want to fight a problem. They don't, ladies and gentlemen. They do not want to fight the problem. They don't want to hold people accountable. And I'm going to give an example, number two here. Now, this is a different example, but it's all part of the same psychosis that one segment of our population in this country is suffering from. And that psychosis is, it's schizophrenia. You say one thing one day, and now you turn around when the weights are coming down on you. When the ton of bricks is hitting you, now you're waking up. And of course, you still want to blame other people for decisions they've made. And they're not even honest enough ever to say, our decisions were bad. They didn't work. And we need to fix it. They won't do that. They want to tap dance and blame other people. Example number two, this is from Fox News. 800 migrant migrant families being booted from Denver shelters as city nears breaking point. The city of Denver has begun ejecting around 800 migrant families from shelters as it scales back on aid for legal. Oh my God, they're evicting. They're throwing out these poor people who came here illegally, who shouldn't be here in the first place, they're throwing them out. Families right here in the article, it says, from shelters in Denver. What is Denver? Denver is a self-declared, I think probably by city council or something, a sanctuary city. Now, let me backtrack a little bit in my personal history. I remember, and many of you do too, I remember when the whole sanctuary thing start gaining speed. He became this political pawn, this virtue signaling tool that many in public life, elected officials, again, advocacy groups, they all utilize to beat me and people like me who believe in the rule of law, who believe that only American citizens or people who migrated here legally, who want to become American citizens, follow the law, should be here in the first place. They beat us over the head calling us racist and xenophobes anti-immigrant all of these condescending names that's what they called us now the same people again self-declared sanctuary city now they're throwing people out of their shelters why because reality is beating them over their big small brained heads that's why and again, they still want to blame other people for their failings, but now reality is setting in. See, here's my point, ladies and gentlemen. I've been consistent. People who abs- subscribe to the, what I believe, that people should come here legally, only people who want to become Americans, only people who want to embrace Americanism should be allowed to come into this country, that immigration should be for the betterment of the United States, of our civilization, of our culture, of our country. Those people are, we are the racist. I am consistent. I believe that 30 years ago, I believe it now. These, the people who were so big on sanctuary cities, come one, come all. We're going to protect you from the evil ICE agents. We're going to protect you from local government. They're not going to be able to deport you. And by the way, what was their mantra? What was their mantra about sanctuary cities? Here was their soft sell to all of us. Here's what it was. Well, we want people to come out of the shadows. You understand that if if these poor immigrants who are just here to work, and by the way, many of them are just here to work. I understand that. Just here for a better living. Again, if I lived in one one of those countries where true oppression exists, I would want to get out, too, and take care of my family. But that's a separate topic. We understand this. But their argument was, we want them out of the shadows because they won't talk about the crime being committed against them or crime being committed by other people in their city and their their community. They'll be afraid to come to the police and be good witnesses if they think they're going to get deported. Remember that argument? I said at the time that was BS that was made up, that was a political strategy. Here, The bottom line is that they should not be here anyway, legally based on existing law today and existing law 30 years ago. They shouldn't be here in the first place. So for now, for us to to acquiesce as a society, as a nation to say, well, we'll go ahead and protect them from the federal government because we want them to be good witnesses, this is derangement, ladies and gentlemen. This is craziness. If they weren't here in the first place, they wouldn't have to come out of the shadows. So let me read on with this article here about Denver, the wonderful sanctuary city that's not anymore. On Monday, about 140 families were booted out from temporary accommodations in Colorado's capital with the re. Uh, Remaining 660 families expected to be removed over the next few weeks, according to city officials. Oh my God, Denver is evil. They're booting these poor people out. I can't believe it. The sanctuary city has been struggling to stretch its limited resources to support the growing number of migrants in the city. Texas has transported thousands of migrants to sanctuary cities like Denver to showcase the problems border states face When migrants flood their cities, I'm going to talk about this in a minute. With overcrowded shelters and overrun hospitals, Denver state officials have begun enforcing a limit on the amount of time that migrants can stay in the state-provided rooms to accommodate the daily influx of individuals, according to a report from from NBC News. As of last week, Denver was sheltering 3,813 people with more waves of illegal immigrants still descending on the city. Denver Mayor Mike Johnston, a Democrat, no kidding, said the city is at full capacity. Quote, we have filled every single hotel room that we have available in the city and county of Denver, Johnston said during a town hall meeting this week. Quote, now we have the terrible decision that if we don't start exiting folks, I love these euphemisms, exiting folks, evicting, booting that you actually used that word earlier. We will have 250 folks that will arrive today or the day after who don't have anywhere to go at night, Johnson said. Johnson told Fox News last week the city was very close to breaking point due to the crisis. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, the crisis is self-imposed. The crisis is self-imposed. Greg Abbott is sending people to New York City, to Chicago, to Denver, to other places across the state because they have self-identified as a receptacle, as a sanctuary city to absorb these immigrants. That's why they're being sent there. They asked for it literally. The city had initially paused shelter exits due to the colder weather, but due to space and timing, the pause will end this week, according to Nine News. Previously, migrants with children were allowed to stay For 37 days, as of Monday, February 5th, 2024, Denver has supported 38,380 migrants from the southern border at a cost of more than $42 million. A statement on the city's website reads, I want you to think about that, folks, $42 million. That's $42 million of Denver taxpayer money. It came out of the pockets of Denver taxpayers. Citizens of the United States, citizens of Colorado, that's $42 million, none of which is going to sanitation, none of which is going to education, none of which is going to healthcare. none of which is going to public safety, none of which is going to EMS. It's all going to support people who should not be here legally in the first place. That is money that is being spent on people who should not be here illegally. That is money being spent by people who have worked hard, who have it taken from their pocket by the city of Denver, by the state of Colorado, that they will never see reimbursed to them in services that are promised to them from their local and state government. This is evil. This is absurd. And now Denver Politically, is paying the price. They put themselves in a hole like so many other cities have. This influx of migrants is straining capacity, do you think? And based on current projections, could force the city to cut as much as $180 million from its annual budget, the city said in the press release. No, that's another twist in words. If you should think about this. They're not going to cut $180 million from their budget. They're going to reallocate the $180 million to support illegal immigrants. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you have to look at the words these people put down. This is from the city's press release. Somebody thought about this when they read it. They're not cutting the budget. They are taking more money from the people who made that budget possible, the taxpayers, and they are reallocating it to people who never paid into the system. This is patently and absolutely unfair. We talk about fairness. This is unfair. Yoli Cassis of the nonprofit Viva Wellness said the number of migrants in arriving in the city is unprecedented. You think so? Viva Wellness is helping the city address its migrant crisis. This is a quote from Yoli. We have never seen so many people come and so many people in the last year. I wonder why. Why in the last year? Gee, what's been going on? Oh yeah, another couple of million people have come across the southern border. Maybe it has something to do with it. And by the way, I'm only guessing here. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm really going to stretch the possibility here. So forgive me if I say something that may be a little inaccurate. I'm going to guess that Yoli Cassis from Dela Wellness probably supports Open Borders. I could be wrong. Man? If I'm wrong, Yoli, please reach out. We're all over the internet. You're Leo Nation. And tell me if you actually supported the border wall. Right here. I'm a nice guy. I'll respond to your comment. And I would like to find out if you supported Open Borders. And you were opposed to a physical barrier being built between the United States and Mexico. I'm just curious for me, February 1st, this is her Yoli. I don't know if Yoli is a man or a woman or something else, but Yoli Cassis, February 5th for me is a date that hurts a lot because it's a date that for various reasons, we're full. Cassis told nine news. There's just no more space. Hmm. The city has also been helping migrants leave the city by purchasing bus tickets. In January alone, the city purchased more than 2,000 tickets, sending people to other destinations within the United States, with most going to, you got it, New York City and Chicago, according to Denverite. Now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Remember when Governor Abbott, Governor DeSantis to a lesser extent, do you remember when they start busing people to Martha's Vineyard, New York City, Chicago, Denver, other places? Do you remember what that was called? Do you remember what the media call it? Do you remember the mainstream media, elected officials from one side of the political spectrum were calling that? I'm not going to ask you again. Have you forgotten? I haven't. They called it a political stunt. They called it a political stunt. Do you know what else they called it? Go back and look up for yourself. The fact that Fox News and not Department of Homeland Security, the city or local NGOs were alerted about a plan to leave migrants, including children, on the side of a busy DC street makes clear that this is just a cruel, premeditated political stunt this is what they are doing. The migrants, including children who arrived in Martha's Vineyard, were misled about where they were being taken and what would be provided when they arrived is also deeply alarming. They deserve better than being left on the streets of D.C or being left in Martha's Vineyard. They deserve, deserve a lot better than that. And as we have done many times in response to attempts to create chaos and confusion by Republican governors, we are working to manage the, the consequences of these two stunts uh, as well. They wanted to charge, maybe they're still trying to charge these governors. They wanted to charge them with kidnapping, human trafficking. Do you remember this? I'm not making it up. Go look for yourself. Do you remember this happening? Kidnapping. Political stunt. However, when a Democratic mayor, who's the head of a city that self-identifies as a sanctuary city, when they buy 2,000 tickets with taxpayer money to bus people to other sanctuary cities, crickets. Not a damn thing is said. Not a peep. This is the inconsistency. This is the lack of principle that so many in place, people in places of authority have. There is a sickness, an inability. There is no self-reflection. There is only propaganda. There is only virtue signaling. But when that virtue signaling comes home to roost, when you can't afford to put these people in more shelters, when these people start dragging women through the streets of, of New York City on mopeds that are being stolen from that woman, when cops are being assaulted by illegal aliens who then flip off the cameras, who flip off you and me when they're released because of Alvin Bragg in New York City with no bail, then things begin to change. Then the governor of New York, now she steps up, and says, we shouldn't be assaulting cops, I won't stand for this. Where were you, Hakel? Where were you when you were letting these people, when you were one of the people who said that walls probably are not a good idea, I'm just guessing. Where were you when thousands and thousands of these people were being released into your city? How come you didn't stop it then? I'll tell you why. Because now it's becoming a political nightmare for you and your ilk. That's what's happening. Let me continue. Shall I? The influx of migrants has also put the city's health system at a breaking point. No duh. We talked about this in general. About 8,000 illegal immigrants recorded about 20,000 visits to Denver Health last year, receiving services such as emergency room treatment, primary care, dental care, and yes, of course, childbirth. The visits contributed to the system being in the red by about how much? $22 million. Denver passed laws to become a sanctuary city, but it doesn't include a right to shelter provision, which means there is no official policy that compels the local government to provide shelter indefinitely. Not only are they virtue signallers, they're not even good planners for their, for, for their own strategies, their own philosophies. If you're going to be a sanctuary city, why don't you build some shelters at least to house these people? Finally, ladies and gentlemen, There's a very closely related topic, but different, very closely related topic, but different that I'm going to finish with after I have my little sip here. This is the, thank goodness, the doomed and failed Senate border bill. It just happened. Again, this is related to the sanctuary city. It's also related to the very first topic about these stupid laws about legalizing drugs they have no substance. It's all political. It's all virtue signaling. It's all it is. So this is from the Heritage Foundation, this piece. The border bill is a disaster for border security. As we begin, the U.S. Senate has finally released the quote-unquote border security text that three senators, Kristen Sinema, Independent, Arizona, Chris Murphy, Democrat, Oklahoma, and James Langford, Republican, Connecticut, Secretly negotiated for weeks with the Biden administration. Before I read this text, and by the way, I took a lot out of this. I really encourage you to read the entirety of the bill, or at least most of it, but I shrunk this down to a very short piece here for you. But before I read that, let me talk to you about these three dingelings: Cinema, Murphy and Langford, and why these three were involved in these behind-the-scenes negotiations with the Biden administration. Cinema. Now, cinema, a couple years ago or so, she changed her affiliation from Democrat to independent. Now, in a practical sense, am I glad about that? Yeah, I'm glad about it. But what was the motivation for cinema? Motivation is she lives in a border state. She's in Arizona. This woman wants to keep her job. That's fine. But why don't you keep the job by standing for exactly what you believe, well, she's actually doing that when I think about it, because what she believes in is keeping her job. This is why she went from Democrat to Independent in that border state. I'm telling you right now, if she were in a solid blue state, she would have changed that, that affiliation. She is trying to keep her job. And this is why she was one of the people on this little three-person committee, because she wanted to project the belief, the idea that she was doing something to alleviate the border crisis that she's got her nose to the grind the grindstone there she's working hard to enhance border security it's crap it's bs she's not especially when i read some excerpts from this bill you'll see why so that's her motivation murphy look i can't see enough about murphy because look this guy is he's a a climate crisis kook you know what the cows the and baking bread and your gas stove, all this crap, he believes are going to go ahead and, and uh, send the world into a, a heat crisis or climate change, whatever it is now. Because they can't keep their story straight because the weather keeps changing faster than their own stories change. But anyway, he's got that going on. He's anti-Second Amendment. What else? Socialized health care. Everything you would think from the Democrat. So he's a point man for the Democrat Party. And they got to have this guy in here because he's really the epitome. Of the Democratic Party right now, a big time lefty. That's why. That's what his role is in there. This is actually just right on par for him. Number three, people say, "Well, well, James Langford, Republican, Connecticut, jeez, bark." What can be wrong with that? And by the way, when you look at his record, Langford, he actually has on paper pretty good record on a lot of topics. So I asked myself, why is he involved in this? What is his purpose? Does he really believe that this? Border bill they put together is really going to enhance border security. No, he doesn't believe it. And here's why I believe he doesn't believe what he actually authored. By the way, he decided not even to vote for his own bill. There's a reason for that, too. Can you think, can you believe that? He decided not to even vote for his own bill. But here's what is telling you about Langford, ladies and gentlemen. He was personally tapped by Mitch McConnell also known as Turtlehead. Mitch McConnell, who is a loathsome swamp creature, he probably epitomizes a swamp more than any elected official in Washington, D.C., because he pretends to be a conservative, he claims to be a conservative Republican, but he is so much entrenched in the personal politics of Washington, D.C., that, again, nobody could better represent the, the swamp than, than Mitch McConnell. This guy plays both sides of the aisle. He has for decades, and he will until the day he leaves in one capacity or another. So when I find out that someone was ordained by Mitch McConnell to be involved in any negotiations, immediately a giant red flag goes up. That's what Lingford was doing in there because he got asked by Mitch McConnell. Anyway, these three secretly negotiated with the Biden administration. The Emergency National Security Supplemental Appropriations Act of 2024 includes more than $20.2 billion for border funding and hundreds of pages of border and immigration reforms. We don't need all those pages, folks. We don't need the $20 billion. We don't. The key takeaway is that neither the funding nor the statutory reforms would truly secure the border, and border security is the only measure that Congress should use. 100% correct, with more than $7 billion for the Departments of Homeland Security, State, Justice, and Health and Human Services, the Biden administration would again fund, guess what? Sanctuary jurisdictions and non-governmental organizations, NGOs, that have been facilitating mass illegal immigration using federal grants provided by these departments. Remember I told you this last topic I'm going to touch on here is separate from the Denver Sanctuary City, but closely related. This is important for everyone listening to absorb. Part of this bill would be to continue to fund or neither fund. In other words, increase funding for sanctuary cities. Making it able for Mayor Johnson and people like him across this country now to continue to house and pay for the mass movement of people coming across our southern border. This is an insidious, nasty, deceptive little bill that the Biden administration and these three dinglings I just talked about were involved in. And it's also involved. To make the Republicans look bad because they knew this, the bill would fail. And now they want to say, we had a bill here and the Republicans wouldn't sign off on it. They don't want border security. These deceptive, dishonest people are absolutely what's wrong with this country. Sanctuary mayors and governors have decried the volume and cost of illegal aliens amassed in their jurisdictions, yet they do not terminate their sanctuary policies. Instead, they demand more federal taxpayer money to pay for sheltering, transporting, and providing social services to the never ever increasing, the ever increasing number of illegal aliens. This bill would deliver for those mayors and governors. Do you hear that, ladies and gentlemen? This bill would actually send send them the money they're begging for. Both the Biden administration and the sanctuary officials work with a network of secretive NGOs and non governmental organizations that built and staffed the considerable infrastructure that facilitates the mass illegal immigration from as far south as South America to and throughout the United States. Multiple videos have shown that NGO staff at shelters, hotels, and airports refuse to answer questions about the illegal aliens they guard and grow physically abusive when filmed. Congress should be investigating and shutting down this sanctuary NGO machinery, not giving up more money to continue operating. What three three senators negotiated with the architects of the America's border crisis would convert the Biden administration's destructive policies and violations of immigration law into statute. These measures would not only continue the border crisis, but would also make it more difficult for future enforcement-minded presidents to fix. I hope that's clear. This is to, to codify this shambles of a so-called uh, immigration policy, to codify it, to put it into law, to slow down any reversal of this mass out-of-control, yes, invasion level of immigration coming across the border. It's exactly what they decided to do. In other words, if by any chance the Republicans would have voted to support this, the Biden administration was hoping to win in that aspect. Republicans say no. They're hoping to win in a political aspect, saying we tried. The Republicans shut us down. The other thing is that in this bill, I took all this out here to make this as short as possible, that was tied to this was funding for the Ukrainian war and and for uh, Israel military funding to fight Hamas. It was tied to this bill. So it's all or nothing. This was also trying to embarrass the Republicans, saying, oh, they voted not to fund Ukraine. By the way, I hope they don't uh, uh, fund Ukraine. That's my personal view. And not fund Israel. They're not funding any of them. Another way they wanted to try to embarrass the Republicans. Let me tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen, it's not going to work. It is not going to work. Anybody with two brain cells can see right through this scam, this sham. That's exactly what this is. The Senate bill, let me give a couple of bullet points points in the Senate bill. The Senate bill accepts and codifies crisis levels of daily illegal immigration. If passed into law, the bill would create a three-year, quote-unquote, border emergency authority to allow agents to expel illegal aliens back across the border during extraordinary migration circumstances but the numerous exceptions and limitations swallow that authority whole the secretary of homeland security has the discretion to activate the authority after the u.s customs and border protection encounters an average of four thousand illegal aliens daily for seven consecutive days do you understand what that text says that they can't send legal aliens back. They can't stop them until they have 4,000 encounters a day for seven, seven consecutive days. In other words, we have 3,800 a day. These keep coming just like right now. They put threshold. Why allow one encounter? Why allow five? Why allow any encounters? It should be an absolute thing that the border is shut down to anybody trying to get through illegally. Plain and simple. Secretary activation, the Secretary of Homeland Security activation of the emergency authority becomes mandatory after the CBP encounters a 5,000 illegal alien daily average for seven consecutive days or 8,500 in one day. Not counted in those numbers are the unaccompanied children, parolees, those who claim a fear of prosecution have already been in the U.S. for 14 days or already traveled beyond 100 miles from the southwest border. The the Secretary would not be able to activate the authority for more than 270 days, 225 days, and 180 days in, in calendar years, one, two, and three, respectively. In other words, even with all these people still coming across with no authority to stop them, At best, this is only good for 270 days a year, the authority at all to stop them, even these thresholds, and at worst, only half a year in the third year. Ask yourself, why? Why do they have any of these thresholds? Why shouldn't every single day, why should it not be up to the United States to vet every single person and decide whether they can come into the United States or not? Why? I'll tell you why. Because the Biden administration wants to continue this mass immigration at all costs. That's why. The bill then adds cumbersome and confusing calendar calculation requirements to further limit the Secretary's use of the emergency authority. Finally, both the Secretary and the President could suspend the authority. Did you hear that? They can suspend it all together, Based on what? I don't know. Who cares? They shouldn't be able to submit it at all. They shouldn't have any of these thresholds there to begin with. This should not be an issue. Continuing to allow these crisis-level numbers of illegal alien encounters means that border agents would remain overwhelmed and more illegal crossers would evade the agents. Agents turning into gotaways and bad actors would slip through limited and rushed vetting. It continues, this bill continues the catch and release and guts the mandatory detention statute. Current law mandates detention from any alien who illegally enters the U.S. while pursuing asylum protection. The Senate bill redefines detention to non-custodial detention and applies the supervised release by another name only to adults. If passed into law, families and children would be released without supervision. On and on. Finally, President Biden could secure the border with current authority. He does not want to. Just like I said, President Joe Biden opened the border and created the country's crisis using only executive non-congressional authority. He can end the chaos with the same executive authority. He does not need congressional authority. Ladies and gentlemen, Boys and girls, think back three years ago, one of the very first things, not only was it one of the very first things he did through executive caveat, executive order, he campaigned on it. He campaigned with the mantra, I will stop the wall. Not one more foot of wall will be built. Trump campaigned on um, build that wall. Are you willing to tear that wall down?
1: No, there will not be another foot of wall constructed on my administration, number one. Number two, what I'm going to focus on, and the the fact is that somebody in this group written a lot about the border. Um, I'm going to make sure that we have border protection, but it's going to be based on making sure that we use high-tech capacity to deal with it and at the ports of entry. That's where all the bad stuff is. The region are stronger than they've ever been. This progress is still fragile, and you all know it. You know it better than I, many of you. And it requires a sustained commitment by all the parties, particularly the United States. We can't wall ourselves off from the problems that are not bound by borders.
0: Not one more foot of wall will be built when I become president. And when he became president, through executive order, not through congressional activity, not through introducing a bill, not through negotiations, with literally one fell swoop of the pin, he ended the border wall construction. And now he asked the Gaul and his administration to tell us that he can't reverse his own executive order. They think that we are as dumb as they are. That's what they think. They think that we are as gullible as they are. He does not need any authority that he has not already utilized. By the way, go back in time a little bit. Watch, I forget what show it is. We can find it. Remember last fall, a few months ago, this man said that because of the law now, he has to start building the wall with funds that were allocated just for, I told you then, he says he's going to build a wall these funds that he's forced to legally, he has to use them, blah, blah. blah. I told you then he wasn't going to buy one build one inch of wall not one inch you guys go look for yourself has he built one inch of wall no since then he hasn't he just projected that knowing what the polls show knowing what the American sentiment is right now that immigration is now the number one issue and not just on one side of the aisle ladies and gentlemen this is the problem and he is the administration know it so a few months ago he pretends to start to, okay we're going to do this and blah 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 Well, now what is he doing? Now he's saying that he can't take any action without Congress's approval, without a law being passed. We know that is a lie. We know it is a complete, utter, shameless lie. That would be bad enough. But what is this man doing? What is he doing? He is blaming the previous president. And by the way, whether you love Trump or hate Trump is not point of today's show. It's not even the point about this bill. The point is how duplicitous Joe Biden and his administration are. That's the point. And others like him around this country. We know for a fact that if he wanted to build the wall, he could literally start building today. But beyond that, what's worse is this. He blames the previous president for the problems that have arisen in the last three years since he was sworn in as commander-in-chief. As a matter of fact, Anthony, play that video right now of President Biden, Biden not taking responsibility for his own actions.
1: The result of all this hard work is a bipartisan agreement that represents the most fair, humane reforms in our immigration system in a long time. And the toughest set of reforms to secure the border ever Now, all indications are this bill won't even move forward to the Senate floor. Why? A simple reason. Donald Trump. Because Donald Trump thinks it's bad for him politically. Therefore, he doesn't, even though it helps the, the, the country, he's not for it. He'd rather weaponize this issue than actually solve it. So for the last 24 hours, he's done nothing, I'm told, but reach out to Republicans in the House and the Senate and threaten them and try to intimidate them to vote against this proposal. And it looks like they're caving. Frankly, they owe it to the American people to show some spine and do what they know to be right. So I want to tell the American people what's in this bill and why everyone from the Wall Street Journal to the Border Patrol to the Chamber of Commerce, the United States Chamber of Commerce, support this bill. Because it's going to make the country safer, make the border more secure, treat people more humanely and freely and fairly, and make legal immigration more efficient and consistent with the values of our nation and our international treaty obligations.
0: Now that right there,
1: ladies and gentlemen,
0: boys and girls, that is, if not the ultimate, that's a really damn good example of lack of leadership and no shame whatsoever. You've been in office for three years and you have the gall to tell the American people that the six or eight million people that you have let come in this country since you've been president is the previous president's fault. Again, I don't even care what your political affiliation are. You guys know where I stand. It doesn't matter. But the idea that this man would blame the previous president for everything that's happened under his administration when he actually stopped the measures the previous president had taken to stop the flow of immigration. I believe it was President Trump's last year, I believe it was, we had 400,000 encounters at the Southern border in his last year. I think last month we had over 300,000. But he blames Donald Trump. This is our commander-in-chief. This is our leader. I'll finish up with this, ladies and gentlemen. The only test for funding and legislation Would it truly secure the border? That's the question. That's the only only measuring tool we have. Would it secure the border? When illegal aliens come to the U.S., they want to enter, remain, and work here. And that is the best case scenario. The border is just as open to terrorists, the Chinese, Russians, and any number of people who do not want to merely work here. Securing the border requires preventing those three things. The bill negotiated by three senators and President Biden funds and facilitates more mass illegal immigration. It is a disaster for border security and is an attempt to politically cripple one party and one candidate and it will not work. Ladies and gentlemen, these are three examples of a party who has completely lost its mooring from principles. Completely lost its moorings from objectivity and the rule of law. We as Americans have to embrace the fact that one party is working harder, not perfect, but working harder to ensure the rule of law than another party. Period. The numbers bear it out without question. And I implore you to support those people at a local, county, state, and federal level who absolutely want to ensure the rule of law of law. That's all I can ask of you. I hope you do it. God bless you. We'll see you next time. I'm the Chief at Your Leo Nation. Take care.